Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, the red letter basic, by examining the Word of God and especially the example of the book of Acts Church to see how the early church served the Lord. By delving deeper into Scripture, we find the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is on going the fire of the upper room still burns if you have any questions go to firefalltalkradio.com use the contact button or you can write us directly at the porch lowercase one word at firefalltalkradio.com if you'd like to support us there are ways to do so go to the firefall talk radio homepage. we appreciate your support and encouragement welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms remember we can always be found on apple podcast Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Welcome. Welcome to the Portrait on Firefox Talk Radio. What an interesting day it's been all the way up to going on the air. It's just been a challenge today. But we persevere and we overcome. Glad you could be with us. We're always here every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. live, and then you can listen to us archived on one of the streaming platforms. And as we always say, we appreciate you listening and supporting and encouraging us. This is the community part of the porch. If you don't want to be a part of that, we understand. Go directly to the sound of the second shofar and into the Bible study. If these Bible studies are blessing you, please let us know. Please um, encourage us. Let us know that what we're doing is getting the job done and furthering the kingdom of God. That's why we do this. We don't do it for any other reason. Get my notes up here so I can see what I'm supposed to be saying. Firefall Network on YouTube, my apologies. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot of new content. We're working on it, trying to get things done. Had some testimonies lined up, people bailed out. Um, it's just the way it is when you do this stuff. So uh, bear with us and forgive us. This is where we do the praise reports and the prayer requests. I praise him, first of all, for my salvation. I don't know how... Anyone can make it in this world at this time without the blessed hope. So I thank him. Thank him for saving me. Thank him for loving me. I thank him for giving back the family I threw away, my wife and my sons. And then I got daughter-in-laws and a grandson and a bunch of furry kids. And I am incredibly blessed. And I am thankful that I made him Lord of my life. I praise him for his provision and his protection. You know, we aren't promised anything but our daily bread and salvation with him. Sometimes in a fallen world, things happen. But we know that no matter what, he's in control. So I thank him for that. I thank him for the dreams and the visions, for living out Joel 2.28. I praise him for his favor, divine abiding favor. Praise him for his healing virtues, which right now so many are hurting. 
And we need to partake of his blessings. We need to believe and receive for the continuing revelation of the Holy Spirit, for being a new creation, watching prophecy be fulfilled before our eyes. We're living in prophetic times. Pay attention. Don't let the news overwhelm you. Don't get so caught up in it, it bogs you down. Watch it for the sake of understanding where we are so that you know how to pray. So let's pray. Let's pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Psalm 122, verse 6 tells us that. So I do. Pray for Israel every day. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Pray for his church. Pray for America. Pray for his grace to be shed upon us. But we also must understand he is a holy God. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. And he will do what he will do. We're going to talk about that tonight. Praying for the fatherless and the widows, the persecuted and the martyred, the poor in spirit, the bound, the oppressed, and those that are victims of injustice. Seems like there's a lot of injustice in the world right now, and there will only be justice when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords returns. Praying against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both human and animal. Praying for missing and exploited children, the victims of human trafficking, sex trafficking. You know, for a while there, we had an administration that was doing something about this, but you don't hear much about it anymore. I'm sorry, it's evil, it's satanic, and it should be dealt with. Praying for our brothers and sisters around the world, all over the world, being persecuted and slaughtered for their faith, their homes destroyed, their places of worship destroyed. Don't forget them. Please don't forget them. Don't take what you have in America for granted. Praying for divine wholeness, health, and healing as we get back to our divine design. Many of you share with me what you're going through, and I pray for you. I stand with you, and I just pray that you would receive his blessing, that you would receive his healing, that you would be made whole. Praying for our protection, for inspiration, for provision, a lot of work still left to be done. We have a job to do before the return of the king. I do. SRT does. Firefall does. The porch does. So we need that provision. So join with us to pray that the windows of blessing would open and we would have everything we need to go do what he's called us to do. Pray for our lost family members. If they don't know the Lord, then it's your job. Either do it or, or pray for someone else to do it. But don't let a day go by where you don't bring their name before the throne. So, Father, we just praise you right now. We praise you for divine grace and mercy. We praise you for healing. We praise you for your love. We praise you for everything. I know that sounds so simplistic, but everything. What we can think of and what we can't. What we remember and what we don't what you've done and what you will do. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Yeshua to die for us. And Lord, I know I never do. I think about it a lot. I think about the price you paid. I think about the pain you endured, the shame, the blood, everything you did for us. I'm thankful that you did, but it still hurts. 
to know that our sin caused that. Thank you for restoring us to the Father, redeeming us, setting us free, sending your Holy Spirit to walk with us and talk and guide us and teach us. Do that tonight, Holy Spirit. Teach us. It's been a rough day getting this message together. Holy Spirit, I need your help making this work. I always need your help. It's never me. It's always you. So take over. Have your way. Do whatever it is you want to do tonight. We bind the enemy in every way, shape, and form. You will not interfere. You will not do anything to disrupt the Word of God and our fellowshipping together here on the porch. So bless us. If you believe, just say amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. As I said, it's been uh, one of those days. Been a battle. Getting the word has been difficult. A lot of interruptions. Started out with one thing I thought I was supposed to teach. Then I went to another. Then I went back, and I went back and forth. And it really wasn't until I spent some time praying with my brother Larry that it started to come together. Well, at least I hope it comes together. We'll see how that turns out. But the easiest way to start out is today is Purim. Begins sunset tonight, ends Sunset tomorrow night. This is the year 5782 in the Jewish calendar. According to the International Bible, Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Purim comes from the word pure, which means lots. It's the name of the Jewish festival celebrated on the 14th and 15th day of the month Adar, the final month of the biblical year, usually February or March. It's a big holiday in the Jewish world. The Maccabees celebrated it. In 2 Maccabee, it says 2 Maccabee 1536. And they decreed by public vote never to let this day go unobserved, but to celebrate the 13th day of the 12th month, which is called Adar in the Aramaic language, the day before Mordecai's day. Even Josephus in the Antiquities of the Jews wrote about it. He said, accordingly, the horsemen who carried the epistles proceeded on the ways which they were to go with speed. But as for Mordecai, as soon as he had assumed the royal garment and the crown of gold and had put the chain around his neck, he went forth in public procession. And when the Jews who were in Shushan saw him in so great honor with the king, they thought his good fortune was common to themselves also. And joy and a beam of salvation encompassed the Jews, both those that were in the cities and those that were in the countries. Upon the publication of the king's letter, insomuch that many of the other nations uh, were so impressed by this, they circumcised themselves for fear of the Jews that they might 
receive the same surf safety themselves. Well, that was joy and salvation for the Jews. For everyone else, not so much. But it's celebrated. Some even celebrate it with a Mardi Gras-like fervor, but that's not what it's about. Yes, Purim is the final holiday of the biblical calendar year, and it's exactly one month before Passover. And I believe the celebration of obedience that we see in Purim ties to Passover. We don't know who the author of the book is, but it's most likely a Jew, very familiar with the royal Persian court. The detailed descriptions of court life and traditions, as well as the events that occurred in the book, point to an eyewitness author. And because of his perspective, there are pro-Jewish scholars that believe he was a Jew, writing for the remnant that returned to Judah under Zerubbabel. Some suggest it was Mordecai, but due to the language and the focus, others suggest Ezra or Nehemiah due, due to the similar writing styles. But here's the deal. If it was important, we'd know. Most likely written between 460 and 331 B.C. after the reign of Xerxes I, but prior to Alexander the Great's rise to power. We're in a historical time for the Jews. The book of Esther. Well, we hear about King Xerxes and his queen. Now, the first remnant of the Jews had returned to Judah, but Esther and Mordecai, along with many other Jews, had chosen not to make the trek back to Judah. They were content to stay in Susa, the capital city of Persia, in which the story is set. Now, you would think that's innocuous information. It really doesn't mean anything. Oh, it means a lot. If they had made the journey back, the story wouldn't have been told. There would have been no one there to stop Haman. See, Haman's in power. If they had gone back, who knows what would have happened to the Jews. God is not mentioned in the book. This is not one of those books. It is a book that he's not mentioned, but he's all over. Every aspect of him is in this story. He's working behind the scenes. He's coordinating things, things we call coincidences and circumstances to make his will happen. I don't think he manipulates things. He coordinates things. He sets things in motion so that his will is done. But we still have free choice. And the sovereignty and the faithfulness of Almighty God saturates every part of the story. Go with me to Esther chapter 2, starting with verse 5. There's a little bit to read here. There was a certain Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been deported from Jerusalem with the captives, who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was the guardian of Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. The young woman was a beautiful form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. So it came about when the king's command and his, king, his decree were proclaimed, 
when many young women were gathered together in the citadel of Susa, into the custody of Haggai, H-E-G-A-I, that Esther was taken to the king's palace and placed in the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young woman pleased Haggai and, he found, and found favor with him, so he quickly provided her with beauty preparations and her portion of food, and he gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace. And then he transferred her and the maids to the best place in the harem. God's favor is already working. Esther did not reveal the Jewish background of her people or her family, for Mordecai had instructed her not to do so. Every day Mordecai, who was an attendant in the king's court, walked back and forth in the front of the courtyard of the harem to learn how Esther was getting along and what was happening to her. Now what it was each woman's to turn... Ooh. Wow, that felt good. Spirit just hit. Now, when it was each young woman's turn to go before King Assyrius, after the end of her twelve months, under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification, were completed as followed. Six months with oil and myrrh, six months with sweet spices and perfumes, and the beauty preparations for the woman. Then the young woman would go before the king in this way. Anything that she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harems into the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and the next morning she would return to the second harem to the custody of Shasgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he delighted in her, and she was summoned my name. Now, as for Esther the daughter of Abigail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her in as his own daughter. When her turn came to go into the king, she requested nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch and attendant, who was in charge of the woman, advised. And Esther found favor in the sight of all who saw her. Pretty innocuous story pretty common for kings to do what he's doing. Let's just say in those days it was good to be king. But even in the midst of all that, God is working. Because he's setting up, he's setting things in motion to offer the Jews deliverance. Now Esther is the Persian name which means a star, but it's not her biblical name. Some suggest that this name is linked to the planet Venus and the goddess Ishtar. But her uncle Mordecai gave her the name to hide her identity as a Jew. Now, isn't it interesting? A religious person would have said, oh, no, no. You're not going to give me the name of a pagan god. They would have been up in arms and said no, or they would have screwed the whole thing up. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Not even close. So what we say 
Esther, who's really Hadassah, which means myrtle, we know that God's doing something special here. Now, this jumped out at me as somebody who came out of the occult, somebody who got saved in a Pentecostal church with a lot of holy rollers, I will be honest. God took a New York Italian, actually Sicilian street kid, got him saved, filled him with the Spirit, gave him a calling, began to prophesy, began to speak, and began to teach, began to heal, began to cast out demons immediately. And uh, the religious folk didn't like that. It angered them. They didn't understand what God was doing. That's what's happening with Esther. Her lineage is from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, they've been exiled. But no matter what's going on, even in being exiled, God is still working through the people he chooses. Now, if she's not orphaned, if she's not in exile, if she's not there to be raised by Mordecai, a God-fearing man who's living among the Jews in Persia, some believe he actually worked with a um, one of the royal families. That's how he got to position in the king's court. If her great-grandfather... Kish is not carried to Babylon, Babylon along with Jeconiah, king of Judah. If they'd have returned, none of this would have happened. It's interesting for me in a day that so many things went wrong. That I have to realize that in everything happening, God's in control. And I'm not privy to what he's doing. And I've had him tell me that. When I've asked him about things and I've gotten too pushy, he's been very blunt. And he'll say to me, son, you're on a need-to-know basis. And right now, you don't need to know. But God was making a way ahead of time for Esther to be established in place when he needed her. The first thing he did was he gave her favor. Favor in a place where the enemy's in control. Now the Persian eunuch, Haggai, that that was she was put under his care, she had favor with him. He prepared her choices. He gave her a little extra food so that she looked right. God can use the world to get his job done. He can use the world to give you favor. Because some things are about to happen that's going to put Esther right in the focus of the king. The first thing is the king's wife, Vashti, refuses to appear to him in a banquet before his nobles. He wants to show her off. She cops an attitude says no, well, that's the end of that. She's no longer queen. He needs a new queen. So here we have Esther. Beautiful. Great personality. Liked by the right people. And she's chosen. 
Now, let's get real. The, the beauty isn't an accident. Oh, yes, it's genetics, but it's the Lord. In everything, every step of the way, you see God's providential hand setting things up, including hiding the fact that she's a Jew, for now, from the king. She was hidden so that God could use her for mighty things. And she had no control over her circumstances. God is in control. And even in the midst of all of that, she did everything with grace, with humility, and with divine favor. Now, about the time that she's established as the new queen, Mordecai discovers a plot against the king's life. So he makes the plot known to Esther, who in turn passes the information on to the king. The plot is foiled. The um, would-be assassins are they themselves executed. And she makes sure the king knows that it was Mordecai that did it. So Mordecai gets promoted by the king to a high-ranking position in the palace for his efforts. And now the story begins. Oh, you thought the story had already begun. No, now the story of Purim begins. Because there's a man named Haman. He's basically the right hand of the king. He hates the Jews. He hates the Jews with a satanic hate. And he's jealous of Mordecai. So his ego wants Mordecai to bow down to him. He actually issues a mandate. Hey, they had mandates back then, too. He issues a mandate for Mordecai to bow to him, and Mordecai refuses. I read a commentary today that said because Mordecai was connected to the royal families, he wasn't required to bow. I don't know if that's true or not. I know he didn't bow for spiritual reasons. He wasn't going to bow to anybody but God. And Haman's hatred for Mordecai blinds him to the dominoes he's about to set off. The enemy is so brilliant, they're dumb. First of all, they can't see the end from the beginning. They will do things that lead to their own destruction. Case in point. If Satan had known what the outcome, he would have never crucified the Jewish carpenter. But I believe he was blinded. So what he does is when Mordecai won't bow to him in Esther chapter 3, he writes letters and he sends them out by couriers to all the king's provinces. And what he wants them to do is to destroy, to kill, and annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possession. This is all because Mordecai has set him off, and he has triggered that satanic hate inside of him. Now, the first thing you got to realize is they're expecting to die. And they know the exact date they're going to die. And without divine intervention, 
they would have died. But the great part is, Almighty God has set Haman up to fail. And he says, set Esther up to succeed and save the Jews. What's going on in your life right now that it looks like the enemy is going to win? It looks all wrong. If God's at work, it's all right. He is setting things up to your advantage and for his glory. But see, Esther has to make a choice. Mordecai wants her to go before the king without an invitation, which means she could have been killed immediately. Mordecai wants her to go talk to the king and tell him what's about to happen. And she's afraid to. She knows the outcome could be fatal for her. So this is what Mordecai tells her, because they're conversing through messengers. This is Esther 4. This is a very well-quoted scripture. But I want you to hear it. Maybe for the first time. I've taught this about four years ago. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Mordecai trusts God so much he knows deliverance will come from some other place. God is faithful. But if Esther doesn't do it, both her and her relatives, which is him, by the way, will die. So after three days, Esther courageously summons every ounce of strength in her, puts on her royal robes, and she stands in a place where the king can see her, knowing full well she might die. But when the king sees her, he wants her to come to him. God is always working. No matter how bad it looks, no no matter how bad in our limited understanding, God is working. So many times over the years, it's always after the fact, unfortunately, I figure out what he was doing. And I realized that if I had gotten my way, it wouldn't have been good. So she takes the plan that Mordecai gives her, that God gives her, and she sets up Haman. You can go read it. We don't need to go into the details because I've got other things to talk about. But here's the bottom line. In the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the satanic scheming, in the midst of all the things that could go wrong, God delivers them. It's Haman that is executed on the gallows he built for Mordecai. Mordecai becomes honored even more so, and he gets promoted again 
and the Jews were saved. And I found this interesting tidbit in the meaning of names, and I think all names have a meaning, and I think he did that on purpose. Mordecai's name means little man. But he wasn't a little man, was he? Haman, who's a descendant of the Amalekite king Agag, sought to destroy the Jewish race. Mordecai, a descendant of King Saul's family, leads Esther, and they thwart the attempt. And Haman is hanged on the very gallows he built for Mordecai. If that's not God, I don't know what is. So you have the book of Esther, which is actually a scroll, Megillah. Real name is Hadassah, Jewish orphan girl, raised by her uncle in Persia, which is now around, and she becomes the queen. All because Queen Vashti was either having a bad night, a little full of herself, had gotten a little overconfident and refuses to show up at a banquet. Had she shown up, had she just painted on her face and faked her emotions, none of this would have happened. Well, of course, God knows the end from the beginning. And I don't even know if he didn't inspire her to do that. I, I don't know. It doesn't say that. But there's a Jewish girl in place to save Israel. So Purim signifies to me miraculous provision and salvation. But it's not just the story. It's a celebration of divine protection. First for the Jews from annihilation by the Persian Empire, but it's even more so. It's about purpose and identity. It's about the purpose and identity for Israel, the purpose and identity for the church and for each one of us individually as believers. Because when it comes to God's appointed times and seasons and celebrations, Yeshua is at the heart of all of it. Everything has a time, the fullness of time. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Right now we're in all of those. But all the times are in his control. So another part of Ecclesiastes 3 that I hadn't noticed before, because everybody pretty much stops there. When you go down to verse 16, it says, I also noticed that under the sun there was evil in the courtroom. Yes, even in the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. 
The injustices of a fallen world, they're always there. But be assured, he's not unaware, nor is he silent on the matter. And the kings of the earth, both natural and supernatural, will stand before him someday, and they will tremble, because there will be no mercy for them. So there's a time and a season for all things. And I I don't know what time or season you're in right now. I really don't. I know what time or season I'm in. And I'm only responsible for that. You're responsible for you. And just like Esther, you're responsible for your obedience and how you handle yourself in the midst of those circumstances. I'm, I'm just amazed every time I read this story that this orphan Jewish teenager, beautiful girl, becomes the queen of Persia. And the ambitious, arrogant bureaucrat, Haman, who hated the Jews and tried to destroy Mordecai, actually gets destroyed himself. Well, we could use some of that today. Now, Persia, in case you don't know it, is current-day Iran, a nation that has the same territory and the same spirit that drove Haman. That same spirit is alive and well under the fanatical Iranian leadership who all they want to do is wipe out Israel. They want to kill every last Jew. And it's a perpetual battle that those that are chosen by God will have to stand up to and defend themselves, those who are chosen by Hasatan, by Satan, by the fallen. You can't get away from that. I know some people tell you you can, but you can't. We live in a fallen world, and the God of this world hates those of us that are marked by the blood and redeemed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He hates those of us who have been redeemed by the Father that rejected him and cast him out. You can't get away from that, just like Esther couldn't get away from who she was, where she was. So the rejoicing of Purim isn't about parties and celebrations and gifts and candy and fruits and foods. It's about the faithfulness of God. It's about the triumph of a righteous, divinely appointed person over an evil oppressor. But throughout history, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And we don't seem to have been delivered from the Spirit. And I think that Spirit's getting more powerful every day. I wish the church could say that. I wish I could say to you the church is getting more powerful every day. I wish I could say to you that those of us that are filled with the Spirit and called to do what we do, that the numbers are getting greater. But I think just like Esther and Mordecai, it's always a remnant. It's always those that have been hidden. It's always those that have sold out to the calling and sold out to him. I mean, I can connect history, Purim, to the Holocaust. I can connect uh, Haman to the Nazis, but it's a spirit. It's a satanic spirit. A spirit against God. A spirit against the things of God. 
and whether it's the the leadership in Iran or one of the other countries or all the ones that act like they, they're going to support Israel, but when the time comes, we know that they'll abandon them. But this is about times and seasons. And this is about a setup for another time where we're, we're going to be redeemed, we're going to be saved, we're going to be rescued from a time of peril just like Esther and Mordecai were in. And there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth the stress of the nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. See, times and seasons, you can't stop them. If he's ordained them, they're going to happen. So I can read you Luke 21 like I just did or Matthew 24. I can read you all the scriptures, but the fact is this. And this is really what I thought I was going to teach on Noah and Lot. Talked about Noah. was going to talk about Lot. I still may. I don't know. But the fact is judgment will come. But rescue will come too. We need to pay attention to what's going on around us. Mordecai was alert He saw everything. He had the ability to discern those men that were going to assassinate the king. He overheard a conversation, and he got word to the king. And I have to believe the Lord put him in that position. But he was alert, he was prepared, and he was willing. We're missing a lot of that today. But we know it's going to happen. First Thessalonians 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. The church is supposed to know the times and the seasons. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. But you are all sons and daughters of light, and sons and daughters of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. There's a time for everything in his kingdom. And his time is coming. But I want to assure you that even in the midst of telling you these things, even in the midst of warning you about these things, as I said with the days of Noah, there's always hope. Psalm 27 verse 5 tells me, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Well, he hid Esther until it was time to reveal her for his purposes. She was protected. She had favor. Even when it would look like that she didn't. She's in the midst of demonic people, in a demonic atmosphere, in a demonic country. 
She's surrounded by all the things that the religious person would run away from, but she's right where she needs to be. And what this reminds us that the preservation of the Jewish people under hardship and genocidal threats is a theme throughout their history. The church should take notice and remember that. That no matter how bad it gets, and it's going to get bad, he's always going to be there to deliver us. So whether it's a Pharaoh or an Antiochus Epiphanes or a Hitler or whoever, they'll keep rising up until the Lord returns to put them down. But we have great hope. We have hope in our lives if we live for him. That's the message of the last couple of weeks. That's the message I hold on to. As you know from the things I talk about, some of the stuff I do for the kingdom is pretty dark. At times very dangerous. But I have hope. I trust him. I don't run from, I run toward. Because I know he's as good as his word. I know he'll take care of me. Doesn't mean I haven't been bloodied. Doesn't mean I haven't been hurt. Doesn't mean I haven't suffered. But I know the outcome is always going to be his will, his way. And I'm going to be okay. His ways and his timing are perfect. So my message to you about Purim, about Esther, about Mordecai, about all of these things is to trust him. When you see what's going on in the world, first of all, don't believe everything you see. Mark Twain says, if you want to be uninformed, don't read the news. If you want to be misinformed, read the news. That's a paraphrase. I know I didn't get it exactly right, but I got the message right. So don't believe everything you see and hear. Let it go through the filter of the Spirit. If you don't have discerning of spirits and if you don't have revelation knowledge, this would be the time to pray for it. Because what you're seeing and what's real are two different things. We're living in a world controlled by Satan and the fallen. The media, politics, everything, I believe, is under his control. But I have hope. I have the Word. I have the Lord. I have the Holy Spirit. We have each other to pray for one another, to stand with one another for this time. You know, and I talk about SRT, and I talk about the calling, and I talk about being about kingdom business, about our Father's business. I pray that every day, Lord, I want to go to work. I want to get it done. It's all about Him. So all these things going on in the world, in the news, all the things going on in politics, all the things going on in finance, we can do one of two things. We can either focus on it or focus on him. We can either turn on the TV and let it overwhelm you or open the word and turn off the TV. I'm at the point where everything so disgusts me, I'd rather be sitting with my wife By the ocean somewhere, no TV, no nothing. Just the Lord, the Holy Spirit, 
family members, brothers and sisters who were supposed to be there worshiping him and then going out and destroying the work of the enemy. I know that sounds like a fantasy to some, but that's that's my prayer. For this time. I was born for this time. I was saved for this time. I was filled with his spirit for this time. I was filled with his love for this time. And you were saved, and you were filled, and you were given, just like Esther was, maybe not as dramatic, but you were given something that he needs you to do right where you are. We're always looking to run away. We're always looking to run away from from the world and the things of the world, and I get that. There are times I want to flee it too, but after today reading this and studying and working on this, I realize that some of my prayers are selfish. Yeah, I get disgusted. I get angry. I get frustrated. But I need to realize I'm where he needs me to be, and I'm going to be ready when he needs me to be ready. So here we are, Purim, March 16, 2022. Is this your time? I don't know. I don't know. I couldn't tell you that. Only Spirit could tell you that. But the bigger question is, if it is, are you ready? If it is your time, are you prepared? Have you prayed? Have you read the Word? You don't have to be a walking Bible and scripture machine, but you need to have something in there. There needs to be some fuel in that tank. Right now, I'm just talking to you. The notes are gone. I almost did the whole night this way, but then the Lord changed it. Because like I said, it was a frustrating day. I wasn't even sure I wanted to do this. And there are days like that. But the truth is, I always want to do this. I don't want to be doing anything else. If I can upset the enemy, if I can set a captive free, if I can rustle his scales, then I'll be glad to do so. I'll be glad to do so. And I'm transparent. I'm willing to show you who I really am. We need more preachers like that. We need more teachers like that. That's just my opinion. Father, I just come to you now on behalf of your children. I'm, I'm, so desperate, so desperate to set the captives free, so desperate to lay hands on the sick, to tell people about who you are, to do what the book of Acts church did. Lord, I know that they suffered for it. They died for it. They lost their homes. But they gained everything. The world needs you. For this time. And like Esther, I believe I was saved for a time such as this. I pray that your sons and daughters will too. I pray right now they're hearing your voice. They're getting a renewed fire for whatever it is you've asked them to do. 
Lord, touch your children right now. For those that are hopeless, give them hope. Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when it, the blessing comes, it's the tree of life. Anyone hopeless right now, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, receive from heaven hope in your heart through his Holy Spirit. Be reminded of when he bowed you out. Be reminded of when he showed up. Be reminded of all the times he rescued you. And hold on to that. You have hope. Your hope is in him. Your hope is in the Lord. It's not in this world, not a fallen world system, which is going to collapse. It's all going to go away. But he will remain. And you'll remain. I pray whatever it is you need, whatever it is you need from him right now in Yeshua's name, you'd hear it, you'd feel it, you'd receive it. And to that I say, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you Shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.